0: The evening of October 11, 1969 had been quiet and peaceful in the Presidio Heights neighborhood of San Francisco until a yellow taxi cab stopped in front of the steps to the tall corner house at 3898 Washington Street. Activity inside the vehicle attracted the attention of a 14-year-old girl on the second floor of the house directly across the street. She peered through the cold glass of the window, At a puzzling and disturbing sight The girl alerted her two brothers That something strange appeared to be happening outside And the three teenagers nervously studied the unfolding scene According to a police report The witnesses stated that they saw A man in the front seat of the yellow cab Mid to passenger side With the limp body of another man Slumped partially over his lap on the driver's side With his feet near the door The man seemed to be searching the pockets of the second man, and he appeared to be wiping on the interior of the cab, leaning over the victim to the driver's compartment. One of the excited teens used a telephone to call police. A dispatcher attempted to obtain a description of the suspect, who exited the cab by the passenger side front door, also wiping with a white rag, possibly a handkerchief. The teenagers were able to see the face of the man as he walked around the cab to the driver's side and proceeded to wipe the exterior of the left door area. They watched as the man then walked around the front of the cab to the corner, stepped onto the sidewalk, and casually walked north on Cherry Street. The three witnesses would later provide this description of the suspect. White male adult. Yet the first police broadcast described the suspect as a Negro male adult. This mistake was later attributed to confusion during the phone call from the excited and frightened witnesses. This unbelievably simple error would forever haunt the San Francisco Police Department. Officer Armand Pellicetti was assigned to the Richmond station of the San Francisco Police Department. Twenty-six years old at the time, Pellicetti and his partner, Officer Frank Peta, were out on patrol on the night of October 11th when they heard the first radio alert about the robbery of a cab driver in Presidio Heights. Within minutes, Pellicetti stopped the squad car behind the taxi at the northeast corner of Washington and Cherry Streets. The patrolman saw the three teenagers in front of the house on the southeast corner. The terrified teens frantically informed the officers that the suspect had escaped and pointed north up Cherry Street. While Pellicetti followed in the path of the killer toward Jackson Street, a patrol car approached from the east. Officer Don Falk and his temporary partner, rookie officer Eric Zelms, responded to the call to search the area for a Negro male suspect. Falk slowed the vehicle as he came to the intersection of Jackson and Maple Street, approximately one block north and one block east of the crime scene. Falk studied the surroundings and quickly noted the presence of someone ahead and to his right. The man was walking east on Jackson Street and faced the oncoming patrol car.
1: The individual I saw that night was a white male adult, approximately 35 to 45 years of age, 5 feet, 10 inches tall, 180 to 210 pounds. Since we were looking for a Negro male adult, we proceeded on Jackson Street towards Arguello, continuing our search.
0: Ahead, Officer Pellicetti neared the intersection of Cherry and Jackson Streets. Falk turned the steering wheel to his left, directed the patrol car onto Cherry Street, and stopped. According to Falk, Pellicetti approached the vehicle and asked, Have you seen anybody? When Falk replied that he had seen a white man who did not match the description of the suspect, Pellicetti said, That's what we're looking for. Falk stated that the correct description was then broadcast over the police radio.
1: As we arrived at Arguello Street... The description of the suspect was changed to a white male adult. Believing that this suspect was possibly the one involved in the shooting, we entered the Presidio of San Francisco and conducted a search on West Pacific Avenue, the opposite side of the wall, the last direction that we observed the suspect going. Did not find the suspect.
0: Falk thought that the suspect may have traveled north on Maple and onto the Presidio Grounds to the Julius Kahn Playground. Falk stated that he then radioed back to headquarters and informed communications that a possible suspect had been seen going north on Maple Street, perhaps into the Presidio Grounds. Falk shifted the patrol car into reverse, made a three-point turn, and sped off in search of the suspect. On November 10, 1969, two envelopes arrived at the offices of the San Francisco Chronicle. The first envelope contained a greeting card and a cipher from the Zodiac, but the contents of the second envelope proved explosive. With this communication, the Zodiac again sent another blood-stained piece of the shirt worn by his last victim, cab driver Paul Stein. This may have been in response to the recent hoax with Sam who placed several telephone calls to a local television station and claimed to be the Zodiac in a televised conversation with lawyer Melvin Belli. The piece of Stein's shirt erased all doubts about the authenticity of the letter and the identity of the writer. In a rambling seven-page letter, the Zodiac once again taunted his pursuers, threatened citizens, and declared that he would change his method of collecting slaves for his afterlife.
1: Believing that the suspect was possibly the one involved in the shooting. We conducted a search, did not find the suspect.
2: Two cops pulled a goof and asked if I saw anyone acting suspicious or strange, and I said yes. I have grown rather angry with the police for their telling lies about me.
1: Well, who are you going to believe? Should have stopped and talked to him, And we didn't.
2: The police shall never catch me because I have been too clever for them. This is Zodiac A to Z.
0: The Zodiac had been silent since he claimed responsibility for the murder of a cab driver in San Francisco, but almost one month later, the killer returned with another angry letter which would create a new wave of fear and decades of confusion.
2: This is the Zodiac speaking. Up to the end of October, I have killed seven people. I have grown rather angry with the police for their telling lies about me, so I shall change the way the collecting of slaves. I shall no longer announce to anyone. When I commit my murders, they shall look like routine robberies, killings of anger, plus a few fake accidents, etc. The police shall never catch me, because I have been too clever for them. One. I look like the description passed out only when I do my thing. The rest of the time, I look entirely different. I shall not tell you what my disguise consists of when I kill. 2. As of yet, I have left no fingerprints behind me, contrary to what the police say. In my killings, I wear transparent fingertip guards. All it is is two coats of airplane cement coated on my fingertips. Quite unnoticeable and very effective. Three, my killing tools have been boughten through the mail order outfits before the ban went into effect. Except one, and it was bought out of the state. So as you can see, the police don't have much to work on. If you wonder why I was wiping the cab down, I was leaving fake clues for the police to run all over town with, as one might say. I gave the cops some busy work to do to keep them happy. I enjoy needling the blue pigs. Hey, blue pig, I was in the park. You were using fire trucks to mask the sound of your cruising prowl cars. The dogs never came within two blocks of me, and they were to the west and there was only two groups of parking about 10 minutes apart, and then the motorcycles went by about 150 feet away, going from south to northwest. P.S. Two cops pulled a goof about three minutes after I left the cab. I was walking down the hill to the park when this cop car pulled up, and one of them called me over and asked if I saw anyone acting suspicious or strange in the last five to ten minutes. And I said, yes, there was this man who was running by, waving a gun, and the cops peeled rubber and went around the corner as I directed them, and I disappeared into the park a block and a half away, never to be seen again.
0: The Zodiac conspicuously marked this section on the margin of the page and wrote,
2: Must print in paper. Hey pig, doesn't it rile you up to have your nose rubbed in your boo-boos? If you cops think I'm going to take on a bus the way I stated I was, you deserve to have holes in your heads. Take one bag of ammonium nitrate fertilizer plus one gallon of stove oil and dump a few bags of gravel on top and then set the shit off and will positively ventilate anything that should be in the way of the blast. The death machine is already made. I would have sent you pictures, but you would be nasty enough to trace them back to developer and then to me, so I shall describe my masterpiece to you. The nice part of it is all the parts can be bought on the open market with no questions asked. One battery-powered clock will run for approximately one year. One photoelectric switch, two copper leaf springs, two six-volt car batteries, one flashlight bulb plus reflector, one mirror, two 18-inch cardboard tubes, black with shoe polish inside and out, mirror bus bombs one bag each six volts battery six volts battery bus goes bang car passes by okay the zodiac
0: included a one-page diagram of his death machine device
2: the system checks out from one end to the other in my tests What you do not know is whether the death machine is at the site or whether it is being stored in my basement for future use. I think you do not have the manpower to stop this one by continually searching the roadsides looking for this thing. And it won't do to reroute and reschedule the buses because the bomb can be adapted to new conditions. Have fun! By the way, it could be rather messy if you tried to bluff me. P.S. Be sure to print the part I marked out on page 3, or I shall do my thing. To prove that I am the Zodiac, ask the Vallejo Cop about my electric gun sight, which I used to start my collecting of slaves.
0: The Zodiac modified his usual crossed circle symbol, with five X's drawn along the left side of the circumference, this symbol remained a baffling potential clue. The announcement that the Zodiac would change his methods made the investigation even more difficult, and the new bomb threats meant that law enforcement agencies were once again given the virtually impossible task of protecting the public from the killer's next attack. The Zodiac seemed determined to cast doubt on the fingerprint evidence, and the now infamous sketch produced by eyewitnesses. The killer claimed that he was wearing a disguise and that he applied transparent airplane cement on the tips of his fingers to avoid leaving fingerprints. The eyewitnesses described the killer as a white male, clean-shaven, with short, crew-cut hair. The Zodiac's appearance left little room for any substantial disguise beyond a change in hair color and a few other minor alterations, such as the horned-rimmed glasses also described by the witnesses. A surviving victim's description also matched the height of the suspect as approximately 5 feet 8 inches tall, although a responding police officer who saw the suspect thought that the killer was slightly taller, at 5 feet 10 inches tall. All of the witnesses had described the killer as heavy set, although he may have worn some sort of padding to appear larger. Regardless of such efforts, the available evidence indicated that the composite sketch produced with the eyewitness descriptions was most likely an accurate depiction of the killer. Investigators had to remain open minded about the possibility that the fingerprints found at the scene of the crime did not belong to the killer but the evidence clearly indicated otherwise. According to the available information, the crime scene was well-preserved and police checked the fingerprints of various individuals who were there that night. Armand Pellicetti, the first responding officer at the scene, stated that he saw the traces of blood on the cab where the fingerprints were found. More importantly, according to the available timeline of events, The witnesses watched as the killer walked away from the cab and then watched as Pellicetti and his partner arrived at the scene. No one made contact with the cab in the time between the killer's departure and Pellicetti's arrival. The person who left the fingerprints also made contact with Stein's body and or his blood, and this created the traces of blood found with the latent fingerprints on the cab.
3: I pulled up. I'm the first one to be close to that cap. The kids are walking over to it. Nobody else has been there. I see the bloody prints as I'm approaching the cap. I mean, it was totally visible.
0: Latent fingerprints are left on a surface by deposits of oils and or perspiration from the finger and the ridges in the skin. Unlike fingerprints left in blood, latent prints are not usually visible to the naked eye but may be detected with special techniques such as dusting with fine powder and then lifting the pattern of powder with transparent tape. The patterns created by the ridges in the fingertips allow for comparison to other prints in order to find a possible match. In the United States, most courts require at least 12 points of comparison in order to declare a match between two fingerprints according to the available information and the statements from investigators and others who were knowledgeable about the suspected Zodiac fingerprints. The fingerprints did not contain enough points of comparison for a positive identification, but these prints could possibly be used to exclude suspects. The thousands of pages of police reports and FBI files demonstrate that the investigators believe that the fingerprints belonged to the killer and they repeatedly used these prints and other investigative tools to exclude suspects over the decades of investigation.
3: And there were bloody prints. And I thought that they had more on them. They could not come up with nine points on there. Those prints could be used to
0: eliminate people. In later years, some people claimed that the fingerprints were of poor quality and therefore not sufficient to exclude suspects. The fact that the fingerprints found on the cab included traces of blood indicated that the person who left the prints had made contact with Stein's body before making contact with the outside of the cab on the driver's side. According to the eyewitnesses, the killer was sitting inside the cab, handling the victim's body before he stepped out of the vehicle, walked over to the driver's side, and made contact with the cab in the exact spot where the fingerprints were found. The same eyewitnesses also stated that no one came near the cab in the time between the killer's departure and Pellicetti's arrival, and Pellicetti stated that he could see the traces of blood where the fingerprints were found. All of the available information and the facts indicated that the most logical explanation was that the killer left the fingerprints, Despite the Zodiac's claims to the contrary, the Zodiac seemed equally determined to embarrass the San Francisco Police Department. Investigators had referred to the Zodiac as a sloppy criminal who left fingerprints and was seen by witnesses. The Zodiac responded by claiming that he was wearing a disguise and could not have left fingerprints. He also claimed that he did leave fake clues to confuse investigators. His story about the encounter with police officers near the scene of the crime was provocative, and his demand that the Chronicle print his account made it clear that the Zodiac wanted the media to do his work for him, as he mocked police and tried to discredit the evidence which could possibly identify him. At the Hall of Justice in San Francisco, inspectors Toski and Armstrong struggled to cope with the latest developments and were stunned by the notion that the killer had been stopped but then released by patrolman Falcon Zelms. Decades later, Toski reportedly told author Robert Graysmith, "...we felt that Zelms and Falk had stopped Zodiac and did everything we could to keep it quiet so they wouldn't be hurt." by the police commission or embarrassed. According to Graysmith, Toski also claimed that Officer Don Falk tearfully confessed that he had allowed the killer to escape and expressed regret. Toski never explained why he would not pursue his best chance of catching the killer. Two police witnesses who could identify the Zodiac and even place him near the scene of the crime. In an interview with Zodiac theorist Mike Rodelli, Don Falk told a very different story and said, I don't think he ever talked to me. An inspector talked to me at the station, where he quotes me in saying in a tearful voice that I'm going to get in trouble. What am I going to get in trouble for? Falk pointed out the obvious fact that had he allowed the Zodiac to escape, and wished to avoid the consequences of his incompetence, he made an even bigger mistake when he ever mentioned seeing the suspect at all. Falk asked why he would write a police memo if he thought he could get in trouble for doing so. Don Falk's report was dated November 12, 1969.
4: San Francisco Police Department Interdepartmental Memorandum Wednesday, November 12, 1969 Subject, Information regarding Stein Murder, possible Zodiac Suspect I respectfully wish to report the following that while responding to the area of Cherry and Washington Streets a suspect fitting the description of the Zodiac Killer was observed by Officer Falk walking in an easterly direction on Jackson Street and then turned north on Maple Street. This subject was not stopped as the description received from communications was that of a Negro male. When the right description was broadcast, reporting officer informed communications that a possible suspect had been seen going north on Maple Street into the Presidio, the area of Julius Kahn Playground, and a search was started which had negative results. The suspect that was observed by Officer Falk was a white male adult, 35 to 45 years, about 5'10", 180 to 200 pounds. Medium heavy build. Barrel chested. Medium complexion. Light colored hair, possibly graying in the rear. May have been the lighting that caused this effect. Crew cut. Wearing glasses. Dressed in a dark blue waist length zipper type jacket. Navy or royal blue. Elastic cuffs and waistband zipped part way up. Brown wool pants. Pleated type. Baggy in the rear. Rust brown may have been wearing low-cut shoes. Subject at no time appeared to be in a hurry. Walked with a shuffling lope, slightly bent forward, head down. The subject's general appearance to classify him as a group would be that he might be of Welsh ancestry. My partner that night was Officer E. Zellns, number 1348 of Richmond Station. I do not know if he observed this subject or not. Respectfully submitted, Donald A. Falk. Patrolman, number 847.
0: Falk expressed regrets about the incident, and he later told a television producer that he had second-guessed himself. Falk emphatically denied that he and Zelms had stopped the Zodiac and said, Should have stopped and talked to him, but we didn't. Decades after that infamous night, Diane Zelms, wife of Falk's one-time partner, Eric Zelms, reportedly claimed that her husband had confessed to stopping and releasing the Zodiac. Falk refuted her claims as politely as possible and said, I don't know when he talked to the Zodiac because he was in the car with me and we never stopped. A lot of things she had to say were inaccurate and she tried to make her husband out to be a hero or that he was important as a police officer rather than just one of the guys who was responding Falk said he believed he had talked to Zelms about the sighting later that night at the station, but Zelms apparently did not see the suspect. Falk also noted that night was the first and last time he had ever worked with Eric Zelms. Falk was bothered by his partner's failure to notice the suspect and noted that as one of the reasons why he later wrote the so-called scratch memo. Inspector David Toski reportedly discussed this incident with Officer Zelms and said, apparently, Zelms didn't think it was anything. If true, the statements of Eric Zelms indicated that he and Don Falk had nothing to fear from the police commission and no need for Toski's protection or silence. In 2006, I spoke with retired police officer Armand Pellicetti.
5: The story in Zodiac is that Falcon Zelm stopped and talked to the Zodiac. Mm-hmm. And then the story that Falk is telling is that, of course, he says that didn't happen. When you did the cold case files, there's a, a blurb in there, a little quote from you, where it says something to the effect of uh, another unit stopped somebody yeah. and talked to them. Now, did you have... Personal knowledge of that, or yeah, eventually, and I do mean eventually, Falk told me about
3: the stop, okay, Uh, very sheepishly, Uh,
5: and you know, because he had kept it hidden for a long time. Now, did he tell you that he actually stopped somebody, or actually, like, slowed down and saw somebody, or no, he told me he
3: talked to somebody, he asked the guy, Did you see anybody run this way, okay. And I guess the response was no. <laughs> you know, once again, I mean, we're talking to him in the back of a locker two months after, and, uh, and I'm flabbergasted. So I have to assume the response was no. And so Fow probably jammed the pedal to the metal, probably tore a little bit of rubber, went down the block, made the corner, and looked around for a viable suspect. Why he would not have considered whomever he stopped as a suspect, totally beyond me. Now you didn't know about it that night then? Oh no, no. As I was walking down the block, gun in hand, flashlight in the other hand, and scoping the bushes, and I remember getting my attention diverted to the left, and I thought Bob's car, and there he is with Zelms in the car, windows down. Okay, I continued down. Can't remember if we spoke at that time. And if if it was, you
5: know, he would have seen that I was uh, searching, so i sure as shit didn't have anybody. But you don't have any memory of him mentioning stopping anybody or anything? uh No, no. Just so I'm clear on this, at no time during the evening did he ever mention stopping a person? I don't have any recollection of him telling me that. Okay, and did he ever even mention seeing someone? as opposed to stopping and talking to someone. Did he even mention that he had driven past anybody? I do not believe so. Not with me, anyway. Uh
0: At first, Pellicetti said that he seemed to recall that Falk had once confessed that he was the one who stopped and then released the Zodiac. But Pellicetti admitted that he was unsure about his memory.
3: Falk was driving, and Salms was, uh... He was the rookie and whether. Uh, or he shone a flashlight on whomever Bob Ramsey stopped. You know, I'd sure as to have Bob here and ask him where the hell was this guy when you
5: stopped him. I don't remember if we talked about that afterwards. According to the Zodiac, the stop occurred two to three minutes away from the cab at the bottom of the hill, and the bottom of the hill is basically Jackson. Mabel
3: yeah it it is
5: and And that's where Falk says it happened too well okay Falk was going in that direction and And he now Falk says says that he didn't stop the guy obviously he you know Falk's story is that he He says did you see anybody go biker or something along that line yeah and the guy says no and then Falk speeds
3: off I think that that's the, the gist of that information both from Falk
5: and It'd be the logical thing for the Zodiac to say. Then he would have driven past you, essentially, right? Yeah. Okay. But see, now I did see out before I thought that he got to the corner, and just before I got to the corner. So if anything did happen with the Zodiac, it would have to have been very fast, right?
3: Well, it would have to be very fast, and I probably would have seen it. I mean, I wasn't jerking around and
5: falling around in bushes. I was flashlighting every bush as I went by. Foul came around. Did he ever tell you how he heard the description had changed, or did you tell him? No, there was no reason to ask him. I know he,
3: he heard it because I broadcast it. He would have heard it numerous times. First off, 30 seconds after I got there and I got that info from the kids, I hit that radio immediately, so that's the first time he heard it. Okay, so I do not think that, uh, well Jed, I don't know, He, you know he got there but a different location, I didn't see him right away so uh, he may have gotten there say a minute after me and gotten stopped whoever the hell it was or spoke to whoever it was right before the description and then when all this bullshit came up and he told
5: me about the stop, and oh my God. Was it ever officially investigated or by Toski or anybody else, the fact that Falk had stopped this guy? Or Oh, yeah, definitely. Falk ended up talking to the inspectors eventually.
3: Now, how far they investigated, I don't have a clue. They never came to you to ask you about it? Yes, they did, but not that specific aspect of it. They may have, you know, you're pressing me now. You're pressing me regarding maybe a question from Dave or Walt, uh, saying, you know, did Bob tell you about the stop? With, you would yeah. remember if there was an extensive... Oh, no, there was no... Not with me there wasn't. I'm sure with them and there was. Yeah. Because Dave was also thorough. And so was Walt. And so was Bill Armstrong. Because, you know, at the time, I'm trying to remember, Walt Cracking, almost everybody got involved in it. Yeah. Okay. And Walt was one of the first guys on the scene. He might, you know, if I remember correctly, he got there first. Damn, I am not remembering today. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, the bottom line was is that uh, oh, Bill Armstrong asked me about that shit. Yeah, I remember now.
0: I then asked, did Falk say that he was the one who stopped the Zodiac, or did he say that he was the one who was accused of stopping the Zodiac? Upon reflection. Pellicetti said that that was a very good question, one that he could not answer. He explained that he could not accurately recall, and then deferred to Don Falk.
5: Falk has been very clear for the last uh, 17 years or so yeah. that he did not talk to the Zodiac. That he's, he's been saying, I, we didn't stop, we didn't talk to anybody, we drove past a guy and that was it, we saw him. We drove past, but he was a white guy, so we ignored him. Uh-huh. And then later on, we heard the description, and we came back to see what was if he was still around. And I, don't, I don't remember it that
1: way. The individual I saw that night was a white male adult, approximately 35 to 45 years of age, 5 feet 10 inches tall, 180 to 210 pounds. Since we were looking for a Negro male adult, we proceeded on Jackson Street towards Arguello, continuing our search. As we arrived at Arguello Street, the description of the suspect was changed to a white male adult. Believing that this suspect was possibly the one involved in the shooting, we entered the Presidio of San Francisco and conducted a search on West Pacific Avenue, the opposite side of the wall the last direction we observed the suspect going did not find the suspect
5: what would you say if he says to me well i was telling him that i was the guy that he claimed did this but i wasn't saying i did it the difference would be instead of saying to you i stopped and talked to the zodiac that night Uh he would be saying Zodiac says that a cop stopped and talked to him that night and I was the cop but I only drove by or something to that effect well my recollection is that he told me he asked did you see anybody go by here that that he he mentioned a conversation well that was the entirety of the conversation so that one sentence gets said that's my recollection now if that's off the beam then it's off the beam You know, this way. I wouldn't put a paycheck on it anymore. He said that his headlights illuminated him as he came up, Uh and that he saw him, gave him a once-over, and said, you know, he's a white guy, and just kept driving. Well, if if that's what he's saying, then maybe he's more accurate than I.
0: Pellicetti also stated that he did not believe the stop could have occurred, and, further, that he believed that the blood-soaked killer could not have escaped Falk's attention during any encounter. Praising Falk's work as a professional, Balassetti considered the circumstances of that night.
3: Knowing the kind of cop that Falk was, I mean, Falk was meticulous. You know, if there was a stitch off on your uniform, he'd notice it. The Zodiac had to be covered with blood, especially on his pants. I don't give a shit how dark it was he would have seen reflection of blood and so on and so forth. Granted, he was looking for a black guy at the time.
0: After remarking that any competent police officer would have examined the suspect with a flashlight, Pellicetti asked an inescapably obvious question.
3: Well, let's put it this way. How in the hell would he have stopped the Zodiac, not noticed all this blood, Even if he was looking for a black man, come on, give me a break. Falk was
0: a good cop. In fact, Don Falk had an exemplary record. And in the course of decades of service as a police officer, he received many awards and citations, including the Bronze Star and a rare honor, the San Francisco Police Department's gold medal of heroism. One example of Falk's bravery earned him the National Police Chief's Patrolman of the Year Award. When confronted with an armed suspect firing bullets at him, Falk did not act in his own defense and did not attempt to shoot at the gunman because innocent bystanders were in the line of fire. Instead, Falk single-handedly disarmed the suspect and placed him under arrest. On January 1, 1970, Less than three months after the Zodiac killed cab driver Paul Stein, Officer Eric Zelms was taking a break and having dinner with his partner when citizens reported a burglary in progress at a pawn shop next door. Zelms ran to the shop and found two men trying to steal jewelry. The men overpowered the officer, took his service revolver, and then killed Eric Zelms with his own gun. The two suspects, were later captured, sent to prison, and then released. To date, the only official comment on the alleged statements by Eric Zelms regarding the so-called Zodiac Stop came from San Francisco Police Inspector David Tosky, as quoted in the book, Zodiac Unmasked, by Robert Graysmith. Mrs. Zelms may have claimed that her husband had actually stopped and spoken to the Zodiac, but Toskey reportedly stated that Officer Zelms did not think the incident was anything important. The source of the alleged statements attributed to Mrs. Zelms was a man known for making debunked claims, and his own sources referred to him as a nut with no credibility. Mrs. Zelms reportedly complained about falsehoods regarding her husband in the books written by Robert Graysmith. However... The only portions of those books concerning Eric Zelms stated that he and Officer Falk had stopped the Zodiac, so Mrs. Zelms would therefore be describing that version of events as false, a curious contradiction to the claims attributed to her. The Zodiac's story about his alleged encounter with the police created sufficient embarrassment and confusion. When Lieutenant Tom Bruton took over the case in the 1990s, he studied the SFPD files and found no documents concerning the Zodiac stop. Bruton stated that he had no reason to doubt Falk's account or his honesty.
3: We talked
4: about a memo that Falk wrote a month later indicating exactly what he did. I mean, I think that would trump any tearful
3: confession about yeah, I did stop them. They you think
5: that maybe it never happened.
0: In an article dated October 18th, 1969, San Francisco Chronicle reporter Paul Avery wrote... The killer of five who calls himself Zodiac is a clumsy criminal, a liar, and possibly a latent homosexual. That's the opinion of homicide detectives assigned to bring in the boastful murderer. The killer was clearly offended by the police criticisms, and this appears to have sparked the Zodiac's obvious hatred of the San Francisco Police Department. Don Faulk denied that he had stopped the Zodiac and the sources who claimed otherwise made conflicting or problematic statements. Some critics believed that Falk's statements were inconsistent on various issues, but he remained consistent in denying that he had ever stopped the suspect. The Zodiac's first letter mailed after the Stein murder had mocked police for failing to capture him, but he did not mention the alleged stop by police. A killer who truly wished to embarrass the police could have seized the first opportunity to exploit the police stop and the incompetence of the officers involved. Instead, the Zodiac waited one month to mention the alleged stop in his second letter, and he only did so on the third page. The delayed declaration of the alleged stop indicates that the Zodiac may have invented the story in order to embarrass the police who had described him as an incompetent psychopath who may have been a latent homosexual. By all accounts, the so-called Zodiac Stop appeared to be nothing more than a lie designed to inflate the killer's ego by portraying police as incompetent. The various law enforcement agencies involved in the Zodiac investigation were already overwhelmed by the massive hunt for the killer and local police officers, sheriff's deputies, and others were already strained by the ongoing efforts to protect school buses after the Zodiac's threats. Officials were truly disturbed by the Zodiac's newest threat to use explosives, because the devices could be planted anywhere and could detonate at any time. To make matters worse, the Zodiac openly mocked police for responding to his first threat.
2: Hey, pig, doesn't it rile you up to have your nose rubbed in your boo-boos? If you cops think I'm going to take on a bus the way I stated I was, you deserve to have holes in your heads.
0: By November 1969, the Zodiac had wounded two people and killed five victims in at least four different jurisdictions. He had forced local newspapers to publish his letters in which he bragged about his crimes and taunted police. He terrified citizens and teased his pursuers with coded messages and clues to his identity. He threatened to attack a school bus and kill children with rifles and bombs. More than half a dozen law enforcement agencies and even the FBI were hunting for the Zodiac, but he announced that he was changing the rules and would no longer announce his murders. By declaring that his future attacks would look like routine robberies, killings of anger, and fake accidents, the Zodiac warned that no one was safe, and anyone could be his next victim. Citizens feared that the Zodiac was lurking in every shadow, and the seemingly endless terror secured his status as a legendary boogeyman. The Manhunt entered its second year. And the next phase of the killer's game left investigators chasing a ghost, haunted by the Zodiac's chilling reminder that the odds
2: were against them. The police shall never catch me, because I have been too clever for them.
4: Zodiac A to Z Written and produced by Michael Butterfield Zodiac voice by John Knight Zodiac A to Z Produced for ZodiacKillerFacts.com